to the uh, team up top, I'll be in Psalm 139 today. So if you have your Bibles and you would like to turn there, Psalm 139. And as you're turning, just a few things. I'm thankful to be a part of a body where I can experience God's diverse kingdom through the awesome worship today that makes me look forward to the time where we will all be in glory around the throne worshiping Jesus. Then also I want to thank God to be a part of a church that I can help explain God's diverse kingdom in a time where the world needs a word as well as the church. I'm so thankful that God speaks on everything and that he has solutions for all of the problems and challenges that we face as it pertains to division over politics, division over economics, race, and culture. And then I'm thankful to be a part of a church that is serious about expanding God's diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world. So thankful for what we're able to do. This will be our third year at the school. And uh, we're learning and we're streamlining. We're getting better. Um, and it's good that they want us to be there. That's a good thing. Great opportunity. So praise God. I want to thank God for Sister Kim Davis who became an official police officer over the weekend. Kim, you ready? Amen. He gave you the strength to do that thing. And we're so proud of you. Amen. We also grieve with hope with your family as our dear sister Bobby went to be with the Lord this past week. And I pray that the homegoing celebration this coming week will be a wonderful testament to the power of Jesus. So family, be encouraged. I'm getting a lot of feedback up here. I don't know what I need to do. And then also, uh, my, my, my soldier, my warrior, uh, Brother Micah Ralston, he and his mama were in Memphis this past week beginning his first set of tests as God is healing him through this process. He goes back again next week, and then they go away to Jacksonville, Florida for six weeks as God, as his father, Scott, said, um, as Jesus takes care of this thing once and for all. Um, and so we're standing as a family of faith with the Ralston family. Can y'all say amen to keep them encouraged? Amen, amen. So thankful for you guys. My man gave him a hug this morning and said, how you doing? He said, I'm good. And when you consider what he has been through and he can say, I'm good. You know, it just convicted me over the times where I murmur and complain about little things that don't mean anything. And a, a child continues to show me the kingdom, continues to show me the Lord. And then finally... Um, immediately after service, I will not be able to assist you in the demolition process. <laughs> I like tearing stuff up, but I won't be able to do that today because we have to 
uh, at least drive 10 hours today heading towards New York City to plant my oldest daughter, Krista, in Brooklyn as she begins what the Lord has for her there in that city. And i um, so thankful for the encouragement that many of you have been able to give her, um, those of you from New York who have blessed her. Uh, we're excited about what the Lord is doing in this chapter, in this season in her life. And so continue to keep her in your prayers. Pray that we would have traveling mercies. Um, our goal is to be back uh, by Wednesday. So it's going to be a quick trip. Go up, unload everything, and get her settled, come on back. Um, she's staying with uh, a group of Christian ladies. and my, my, my girl is focused. I'm proud of her. She's a lot like her daddy. Just, you know, oh yeah, we are proud of her. Amen, amen. So let's pray. And Father, we thank you for this moment that you allow us to be a part of the church. As Elder Tyler reminded us, you are the groom, we are the bride. Yes, Lord, we drink your cup. We commit ourselves afresh until the day we're able to drink of it with you in your father's house. So thank you, Jesus, for making um, preparation for us. Thank you, Jesus, for pursuing us and coming after us when we could not and would not have come after you because all of us like sheep have gone astray. But thank you, Jesus, that you took our penalty. You loved us so. And you love us into obedience. You never law us into obedience. We thank you for your grace that superbounds over our junk. We thank you that you remain faithful even when we're not. You know our frame. You know that we're dust. But we thank you, Lord, that you're working in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. So, Holy Spirit, have your way. Teach us the word. Help me to preach it now. We pray for results. We pray for fruit. Some 30, 60, and 100 fold. As this word is planted, we pray that you would guard us from the enemy who would love to snatch the seed. So may we not be distracted. May we not be concerned with the cares of this life. But may our hearts be fertile, ready for what you would have us to hear and thus do with your enablement. Thank you, Lord, in advance for the fruit that shall come. For we pray it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Have you ever noticed in your Bible reading, as you're reading from the Old Testament through the New Testament, have you ever noticed how much time the Bible takes in explaining the physical characteristics and attributes of people? You see, the Bible is literature. It's not just a book where we go to get doctrine, but it's a book that is full of stories and narratives. And we are able to read and understand the people that God uses in this great story of redemption from Genesis all the way into Revelation, which also includes you and I. But as you read the Bible, the Bible is very, very specific at times with how people looked. It's very specific at times with various characteristics of the people that are in the Bible. And so let me just give you a few just to prove this point. Genesis 25, 25 says of Esau that he came out red 
he was like a hairy garment all over. So Esau was very hairy and his hair was red. Esau, uh, his name was also translated to Edom, which means red, which sounds a lot like Adam. Adam, the first man taken from clay, no doubt red clay. And so color, red hair. First Samuel 16, 12, David, the Bible says, was ruddy. He had bright eyes and he was good looking. Judges 3.15 says of Ehud that he was a Benjamite who was a left-handed man. Any left-handed people in the house today? All right, I see you left-handed people. And then 1 Samuel 4.18 says of Eli that he was a heavy man as well as old. Exodus 2.2 and Hebrews 11.23 says of Moses that he was a beautiful child. And every child is beautiful, but that baby had a pristine look about him. The Bible says in Genesis 12, 11 about Sarah, Abraham said, you are a woman of beautiful countenance. And that's when he said, lie, and said that you're not my wife, but you're my sister. Because at the age of 65, sister girl still had it going is on. Genesis 24, 16 says of Rebekah, the young woman was very beautiful to behold. Genesis 29, 16 says of Leah that her eyes were delicate. Genesis 29, 17 says of Rachel that she was beautiful of form and appearance. Um, in the Old Testament, that means brick house. That's what that means, brick house. She was a brick house. Genesis 39, 6 says of Joseph that Joseph was handsome in form. And appearance. Exodus 4.10 says of Moses that he was slow of speech and slow of tongue. So Moses had a speech impediment, yet God called him. Exodus 4.11, we see special needs mentioned where God said to Moses, who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Jeremiah 13, 23 says of the Ethiopians, and we have a couple of Ethiopian children in our church, can the Ethiopian change his skin? And the answer is no, and it also points to the beautiful appearance of African skin. Song of Solomon 1, verse 5, the Shulamite woman said, I am dark and lovely. Do I have any dark and lovely sisters in the house today? <laughs> amen, amen, amen. 2 Samuel 11 verse 2 says of Bathsheba that she was very beautiful to behold. 1 Samuel 9 2 says that Saul was handsome and taller than any of the people. 1 Samuel 17 4 says that Goliath was six cubits and a span, which is translated to nine feet nine inches tall. Luke 19 3 says that Zacchaeus on the other end, he was short of stature. Judges 16, 13 says that Samson had seven locks of hair. I mean, he had his stuff braided up. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23 says that Elisha was bald-headed. Can the bald-headed brothers in the house? Hey, Brother Ron, I see you. <laughs> amen. Pastor Darrell, amen, I see you. Stuart Tutler, I see you. See, when that light hits some of y'all head, I can't even see my notes up here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Praise God for the bald-headed brothers. 
I'm holding on. My hairline is like going away from my face. And I'm holding on, you know. Some pictures I take look like I'm bald-headed because my hairline's so far back. Man. So that's what I'm going to look like, bald? Holding on. Some of you brothers just need to let it go. I know some of you brothers are holding, you got a cul-de-sac up in your head. Pieces. Just let it go. Isn't that that movie Frozen? Let it go. That Frozen. Second Samuel 14.25 says of Absalom, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. His hair was heavy and it weighed 200 shekels. First Samuel 25.3 says of Abigail, she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. Esther 1.11 says of Vashti, she was beautiful to behold. Esther 2.7 says of Esther, the young woman was lovely and beautiful. Job 42.15 says of Job's daughters, they were the most beautiful women in the land. And what about Jesus? Isaiah 53 verse 2 says that he had no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, Jesus was just an ordinary-looking fellow. He didn't stand out in a crowd. He was very, very normal and natural. Isaiah 50, verse 6 says of Jesus, he gave his cheeks to those who plucked out his beard. So he had a beard. John 20, verse 20, Jesus said to Thomas, see the nail prints in my hands and the wound in my side. Revelation 3.18 says of Jesus, as he is revealed in the latter day that he has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Well, why did God make all of these different kinds of people with different kinds of physical characteristics? Why did he do that? Why is there such diversity in the Bible? Well, God did all of this for his own glory. Isaiah 43 verse 7 says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. So he made you the way that he made you for his glory. He made you the way that he made you so that he might be put on display, which is what glory means to glorify, to put on display. God is put on display through us through creation. Now we know from Romans chapter 1 that God shows because he is invisible, but he shows his power and his qualities through creation. So that men and women can look at creation, whether they know the Lord or not, whether they are believers or so-called atheists. The Bible says that in their hearts they know that there is a God, even though for unbelievers they suppress that knowledge. And the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But the Bible says that through the splendor of creation, the invisible attributes and qualities of God are clearly seen. So through every sunset, sunrise, mountain, valley, river, lake, flower, tree, we see God. But we also see God through every human being. Because humans... According to the psalmist, we've been crowned with glory. A little lower than the angels, we've been crowned. And when God created, he saved the best for last. And he created man and woman on the sixth day. 
And so we are the pinnacle of creation. So when people look at us and when we look at one another, we see the image of God, the fingerprint of God. And so God does all of this to show his glory. And he has made each and every one of us unique. Um, there's no snowflake that is the same because our God is such a wonderful creator. He's such an artist that even when snowflakes fall from the sky, there, there are no two alike. And even when we look at one another, no one here has the same fingerprints or the same dental structure. None of us have the same DNA. Um, we're all different. And even as I look up and I see twins, even when you see twins, they are different. And so God is able in the midst of this canvas called life. And even as he's working with this small area called the human body, he is able to create different kinds of people billions upon billions upon billions of times over. Now, my daughter is a whole lot better artist than I am, which is why she's going to be going to school, art school. But I remember when I was growing up, I would draw comic books. And that's one reason I love comic books, because I learned how to draw out of comic books. And I would just draw and I would just draw. But I realized, though, when I would draw things on my own, I wasn't that good of an artist because all of my people looked the same. And the women I drew looked like the men that I drew. And so I wasn't that good of an artist. And so they would teach us how to draw the face by creating an egg. Then you would draw a line for the eye, a little line for the nose, and a line for the mouth. And you would then go and start putting the eyeballs and the nose and the lips on. But I noticed as I did that on that small little space, all of my faces looked the same. And when you think about God with this 12-inch space that he's working with as far as the size of our heads, billions upon billions since Adam, we all look different. Only an awesome God can create this way. It's for his glory. We put him on display. So I want you to consider Psalm 139 with me because it's a psalm that shows us the great unmatchable magnitude and power of God. For in this psalm, we're going to see three of his attributes that are not communicable. What I mean is only he has these attributes. Now, there are some attributes he has that he allows us to have because we're made in his image. Uh, for instance, um, we can love because God is love. We, we have that attribute. The Holy Spirit sheds love in our hearts. And so we can love. God is love. But these ones that are in Psalm 139, only he has. So start with me in verse 1. And I want you to listen for and look for the omniscience of God. I want you to listen for the omnipresence of God. And then finally, when it talks about the creation, his omnipotence. His omnipotence. So verse 1, watch out for his omniscience. David says to the chief musician as he writes this song, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it Altogether, you have hedged me in behind and before and laid your hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. In other words, he knows everything about you. Even the things you try to hide from yourself, he knows. Even the things you don't even know about yourself, he knows. For the Bible says in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't even know the depths of our depravity. But God knows it and he still loves us. So his omniscience, he knows everything. So let's just be honest with him. He knows the words on your mouth before you speak it. So you might as well speak from your heart because that's what he's looking at and listening to more than what's coming out of your mouth. So sometimes we get so used to trying to deceive people by saying things that we're not really feeling. Where we need to start getting honest first with God and tell him how we feel because he already knows. Because there's great freedom in that. But above all, there's great freedom in knowing that he knows how we feel. He knows what we think. Then in verse 7, watch out for his omnipresence. David said, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. If I say surely the darkness shall fall on me. Even the night shall be light about me. Indeed the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You're everywhere. You're everywhere all the time. You're always present. There is no place that you are not present. So we're not taking you to the mission field. You're already on the mission field. We're not taking you to J.T. Moore. You're already there. And so we thank him that he is everywhere. He will never leave us nor forsake us because he's with us all the time. And I love the promise that Jesus gave the disciples when he said, when you go and make disciples, lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. His presence, thank God for his presence and yet as we come in worship, we know that God is here, but we're asking for his manifest presence. We know that he is with us when we pray, but we're asking God to fill our hearts, to fill our homes with his manifest or his presence that we can feel. That the environment shifts because his glory, his Shekinah is here. So Lord, we know you're here, but we need you to be here. And so his presence but why does he create us this way? Such diversity. No matter how we're born, no matter where we're born, no matter who we're born to, no matter what we're born like, he does all of this to show his omnipotence and that he may get the glory. Look at verse 13. Now David says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written the days fashioned for me when as yet 
there were none of them. So he talks about God's knowledge. He knows everything. He talks about God's presence. He is everywhere. And now when he begins to talk about God's power, rather than talking about the sun, the moon, and the stars, and he could, and in other psalms he did, he chooses to talk about us humans to show the power of God. Because as great and as grand as man is, man does not have the power to produce life the way that God does. Now, man can manipulate things, and even the knowledge he has to work through various systems and technology, it comes from God. But man still, my wife's computer is jacked up right now. It, it, it has some bad months and some good months. Right now, it's a bad month with her computer. And it's such an intricate machine. And there are things about it we don't understand. And so we need to take it to somebody who knows more about computers to fix her computer. And even then, there are people who can say, there's nothing we can do for this computer. We, we just can't fix it. And as intricate a machine as that is, it can't hold a candle to the intricate body of a human being. That within us, we have so many cells, protons, neutrons, electrons, and so... We have so many uh, cells and veins and arteries and things in us that they can stretch for yards, if not miles. All those things that are interwoven in us. And God has made us so profoundly. And so when he shows his power, he says, let's talk about birth. You formed my inward parts. That means God made your spirit before he made your body. You formed my inward parts. In other words... For Christians, we believe that life not only begins at conception, but we even believe that life begins before conception. Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, with God, everything that we see, he already saw. God is operating from eternity. He is not bound or limited by time. So when mom's egg meets up with dad's sperm, a child is created, conception. But in the mind of God, Jeremiah 1.5, he says to the prophet, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. So we got to stop and think about that from an eternal perspective, that before we were even formed in the womb, conceived, God knew who we were. Huh. That's why David said earlier, this is just too wonderful for me. This is just too much for me. Because as much as I'm made in the image of God, I'm not omniscient like him, whereby I know everything. So there are just some things I'll never be able to figure out in the natural. And by faith, I just got to trust it and believe it. And it causes me to glorify God even more. That man, he knew me before mom and dad knew each other? Absolutely. And then he had a calling on my life. All for his glory, not for the glory of the one that has been created. Oh, my Lord, before you made my body, you made my spirit, you made my soul. God had his hands on you before the doctor did. In the midst of all this Planned Parenthood, sin and debauchery that is going on today, Roe versus Wade and millions of babies who have been aborted since 1973, and women in the political arena arguing for the right to choose, we must be reminded of what the Bible says. 
and that God is the author of life. And God allows women to be the carriers of life just as much as Mary carried Jesus. We see that God had his hands on us before a doctor did or even before our mothers did. And the good news is that he still has his hands on us. I love how the Bible says in the book of Genesis that he formed the man from the dust of the ground and he placed him in the garden. It reminds me back, you know, we got children here today when you play with your toys, your baby dolls, or your action figures if you're a homeboy. Action figures. Action figures. Not dolls. <laughs> you pick them up and you place them. You pick them up and you place them. You know, you set them behind a the table and you have tea, you know, with the girls that have tea with the little Barbies and all that. You pick it up and place it because you have the power to do that. And God picked Adam up and placed him in the garden. And God picked us up and placed us here. Acts 17 says that we were born in a particular time and place for the glory of God. He placed you here so that you may make a difference in this generation for his sake. We weren't born in the 1700s, the 1800s. We were born in this time. God placed us here. I remember these dolls I used to, not dolls, these action figures I used to play with. <laughs> 40 and slip. I had a dude named Big Jim back in the day. I don't even make Big Jim no more. Big Jim, he just was full of muscles. I mean, everything on him. His eyelids have muscles on him. He was just muscular. And so, and, and he came in a, a box where he just stood there in his drawers. That's all. And he was just muscular, you know. And Big Jim had this thing in the back where you pressed it, his arms would move. If you pressed it, his legs would move. And you press this, you know, he'd move when you press. And, and God is looking at us saying, yes, I have formed you for my glory. And when I press your heart, them hands better move. When I press your heart, them legs better move. When, when I press you, and when he presses your heart, something has got to move. So for those of you who don't want to move, whether it's in worship or in obedience or in giving, stop resisting the Holy Spirit. Stop grieving and quenching what the spirit is doing as he's working in you, as he's working in you to work out your salvation. Let him have his way. Stop fighting him. It takes more strength to frown than it does to smile. It takes more strength to resist God than to yield to his spirit and watch him do something great in your life. Stop fighting God. You were not created for yourself. You were created to bring him glory. So be like the clay in the potter's hand. And you can't question what the potter's doing with the clay. But trust that the potter knows how to put you together the way you need to be put together. And chip off what needs to be chipped off. Trust him when he places you in New York. Trust him when he places you in Nashville. Trust him when he places you behind the pulpit. Trust him when he places you in education. Trust him when he places you in law enforcement. Trust him when he places you as a husband or a wife. Trust him when he calls you to adopt. Trust him when he places you where he wants you to be for his glory. Trust him. When Jesus talked about Saul on the road to Damascus after he'd been converted, he told the man who was going to minister to him, he said, Ananias, he will be an instrument for me. And an instrument can't play itself. An instrument can only play when someone is breathing through it. These drums don't play on their own. Somebody's got to play.
play them. And what God was saying about Paul, you are my instrument and I'm going to play you. So he creates us that he might play us. And I'm so glad that he took my life because the path that I was going on, oh man, the devil was playing me. But he redeemed me. He snatched me. Oh man, and I can't go back and I won't go back. And he keeps me from going back. So the psalmist says, you formed, you formed my inward parts. God sees my soul first and foremost. As much as he made us in our various physical uh, characteristics and situations, which is important. Above all, he sees our soul. First Samuel 16, 7. God does not look at what man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. My outward appearance is a description of who I am, but it is not a definition of who I am. It's a description, but not a definition or my totality. Yes, I'm a black man, but I'm more than a black man. I'm a saved man. I'm a born again man. I'm a redeemed man. I'm a blood bought man. Oh my, I'm a man of God. Yeah, and I'm black and I'm proud to be black, but I'm more proud to be a child of Jesus. The condition of my soul defines who I am, but too often I spend more time, listen to this, dressing my body than I do caring for my soul. You know, the Bible says he will restore my soul. Every day my soul needs to be restored. Why? The outward man is perishing. The inward man has to be renewed. Second Corinthians chapter 4. But so often I'm spending more time trying to take care of the outward than I do renewing the inward. And I wonder why I go about depleted so often. Because if I spend 30 minutes in front of a mirror, primping, pressing, wave capping, whatever, and 30 seconds in his presence, no wonder there's defeat. No wonder we keep yielding to temptation. Oh man, I need to invest. I need to lay before the Lord and let him fill my soul. And if I get around to brushing my teeth before I go out the door, praise the Lord. But if not, man, I'm going on in his name. Turn to your neighbor and say, hallelujah. Pastor. Oh, oh. Pastor. I was talking to Bernard the other day. I said, man, I was so busy. I was so busy on this one day. We, we've been ripping and running. Our family's just been ripping and running. It, I was, it was so busy, I didn't even take a shower on a particular day. And I talked to Bernard, and Bernard is a neat freak. Bernard, he don't like, he's like lasagna. Lasagna, when we're praying in the back, she don't want to hold nobody's hands. She's she pounding when it's time to pray. And Bernard's the same way. You know, he's a neat freak, you know, brother. So when I told him, man, I didn't even shower today, he was like, ew, pastor, Ew. But here's the deal. If I pass this microphone, you in the house of the Lord, there have been many a times you stepped out of that house and no water or soap hit your body. Some of you went so far as to put cologne over funk. You know who you are. Matter of fact, turn to your neighbor right now and say, neighbor? No, no, no. <laughs> are you sure today? <laughs> David said in verse 13, he said, you covered me. You covered me, which means in the Hebrew language, you knit me. So God is a knitter. He sews. 
So thank God for men who can tailor and sew. He, he knit us together, and that really speaks of our DNA. When you see DNA strands, how they're woven. Once again, each one of us is unique. No one like us. He knit us. We are all tailor-made. Yes, we identify as humans, but each one of us is unique, handcrafted by the Lord. No wonder David says as I close in verse 14. I will praise you. You didn't have to make me. And you didn't have to make me this way where I know who you are. I know that there is a God. And now through Jesus, I know you personally. And you didn't have to do it, but you did. You not only made me, but then you allowed me to be reborn spiritually. And David says, who was redeemed by grace through faith. He says, I will praise you. I will praise you and the word for praise is the Hebrew word yada which means to stretch forth the hand to extend the hand I will praise you so when we praise God it's not only with our mouths but it can be demonstrative with our bodies whether it be with a dance a shout a clap or the extension of the hands Upward, even as a tree stretches its branches, we stretch our arms upward to God and say, you are the most high and you are worthy to be praised. That's why the Bible says we should lift up holy hands in the presence of God. And I can't understand why some of us come to church and we're so stoic. We cannot move. We will not move. But the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.8, I want the men to lift up holy hands in prayer. Can you imagine what would happen if men were able to humble themselves in the presence of God and lift up their hands? What an example for their sons and daughters. What an example for their wives. Because men recognize they're not the most high. God is. And they're going to humble themselves and lift up their hands. I know it seems a little awkward, but I'm not worried about who's looking at me because I'm looking at God. And if you're looking at me, you need to look at God. I'm going to lift my hands to him in the sanctuary so when babies come out of the womb, they come out with the yada going on. Their arms are outstretched. They're coming out praising God. David says, I will praise you. When babies are born, their arms are moving. And not only that, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. When babies come out, they are praising God with their breath. And to a mother that's been waiting for that baby for nine months. Or for a family that had been trying to get pregnant and finally were able to conceive. And, and when they hear that cry, it's music to their ears. Life. But how much more when God hears that cry? It's worship to God. I pray that we would learn like the children. That we'll be, we would become like the babes and Worship God with hands stretched out. Daddy, Father, God, I love you. Hallelujah. I pray that we'll be free to say that because you are the author and the giver of life. So I'm not going to fear a man who can only touch my body, but I fear and respect God who has kept my soul out of hell. I'm going to give him the praise. I'm going to give him the glory. Because it didn't have to be this way. Thank you, God.
that I'm clothed and in my right mind, living in the land of the living. Blood is running warm through my veins and I know who you are. You're going to get some praise from this vessel that was created to praise you in the first place. You're not going to have to force praise out of me. And I almost heard my worship pastor almost trying to maneuver with that today. We shouldn't have to rile you up. When you wake up, when I wake up, we should say, thank you, Jesus. My, my, my. So I'm going to praise you for how you made me. Because you made me fearfully and wonderfully. The word fearfully means carefully. He made me wonderfully. Meaning that I'm special. And then David says, marvelous are your works. What works? The works of creation. The works of creating me. Marvelous am I. Because you made, I'm, I'm a marvel. Because you made me. I'm special. I'm your handiwork. I'm your craftsmanship. I'm marvelous. Marvelous. How many of us look at ourselves as marvelous? As special? So often, I don't like my nose. I don't like my lips. I don't like my hips. I don't like my hair. I don't like my height. I don't like my skin complexion. I don't like my freckles. I don't like this. I don't. And God is like, you're despising what I've done because I don't make no junk. And I made you marvelous just the way you are. So stop trying to be like those people you see on TV. Stop trying to be like that person in that magazine. And you be like who I called you to be. And let's not forget they've airbrushed these folk and all this kind of stuff. And no, man, you be who you are. Don't despise my creation in you. That's why Jesus said that not only are you ought to love God and love your neighbor, you ought to love yourself. Do you love yourself? Or do you despise yourself? And I pray that this message wakes up anybody in this room that you've been operating under this thing of despisement. You're comparing and you're looking. And, but when, when we murmur, it's because we don't want to be thankful for the manna that we have. And we're looking at the meat that we don't have and we wish we had that. And God says, can you be thankful for how I've made you? So I will praise you for my smaller lips. I will praise you for my larger lips. I will praise you for my smaller hips. Other folks say, I'm going to praise you for my larger hips, my fuller hips. I'm going to praise you for my straight hair. I praise you for my curly hair. I praise you for my kinky hair. I praise you for my thin hair. I praise you for my scalp. I praise you that I'm tall. I praise you that I'm short. I praise you that I'm dark. I praise you that I'm light. I praise you that my eyes are round. I praise you that my eyes are slanted. I praise you that my eyes are brown. I praise you that my eyes are blue. I praise you that my ears stick out. I praise you that my ears stick in. I praise you that I walk with a limp. I praise you that I walk straight. I praise you. I praise you. I praise you. Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. There'll never be another like you. My soul knows that very well. The skills I possess come from God. The talents I possess come from God. The spiritual gifts I have come from God. So therefore, I can't take credit for any of it. So if you can throw a football, God gave you that ability. If you can paint a picture, God gave you that ability. If you can write a play, God gave you that ability. If you can act, God gave you that 
ability. Whatever ability you have that is good, God gave you that and it gives him glory. So don't you dare take glory for anything that God has given you. Last night I was marveling at how my man, my homeboy, my brother, Philip Bailey, you know how you try to act like you know people because you listen to their music? My man, my, my homeboy, Philip Bailey, you know. Earth, wind, and fire, the elements, and he's hitting those notes, and his, his voice is like an instrument, and he's climbing up the scale. I, I don't have time right now to give you an imitation of what he does. I don't have time. I got to go. And man, and I just sat back, and I worshiped God for the ability that he gave that man. And when I heard the drummers going, and they were going, I worshiped God for the ability that he gave those drummers. And when I hear our band go, and when I hear lasagna break down, I thank God, that's him who put that desire in her. So everything goes back to God if we allow it. We're to reflect the glory, not absorb his glory. So when somebody blesses you because of your gifts and your abilities, man, say thank you. But make sure you understand where it comes from. It's not from you. So in conclusion, David says, I'm going to praise him. Mm, I'm going to praise him. God showed his power when he made humans, specifically when he made you. In a sense, he was showing off. And because God is unique, there is none like him. He creates us in his image, and there is none like us. So being made in the image of God not only allows us the ability to communicate with God and to know him personally and to be rational and to have emotions, intellect, and will made in his image because God has emotions, intellect, and will. God is spirit. The most important thing about us is spirit. But God is also unique. There is none like him. And when he made us... Just like the snowflakes, just like the raindrops, we are unique. There's none like us. There's none like you. So when the Bible says that God rejoices over us with singing, it doesn't tell us what song he sings. As a matter of fact, I believe he sings many songs over us. We've got to learn to listen to him sing. But I believe he sings a song like this to us. There is none like you no one else can touch my heart like you do think about God singing this to us and God says I can search for all eternity long and find there is none like Chris Dante Darina Chase Karis Daryl Stephanie Lexi Zandy Ashley on and on there's none like us and he sings that to us there is none like you pastor how, how can you say that david closes and he says in verse 17 how precious also are your thoughts to me oh god how great is the sum of them if there's disease in your body god still sees you as wonderful and beautiful and he is able to heal David says if I should count them they would be more in number than the sand when I awake I am still with you God says my thoughts towards you they are precious this is not self-esteem this is God esteem let's pray thank you Lord we're all special we've been handmade uniquely made thank you for our moms and dads 
for using them, for using their chromosomes in the process of creation. But we thank you that life comes from you. You're the author and the finisher. And even as our dear sister Bobby went to be home, it was her day to go. And she crossed over from death into life. And we thank you for the good news of Jesus, that death has been swallowed up in victory. The grave has no victory. Death has lost its sting because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We worship a living God today who knows every hair on our head, every pain in our heart. He made us unique. So help us, Lord, in this culture we live in that there's such a debate right now, which there, even, there shouldn't even be a debate over when life begins. Help us as Christians to have tact as we stand in the marketplace, in the political arena, to speak what the word of God says without being harsh or alienating people because we're rude, but help us to stand and stand well. Help us even, Lord, as evangelicals are so tempted to say, we don't see color. When, Lord, we see color in the Bible, you made us this way like a wonderful bouquet of flowers. We're different. We're beautiful. We're marvelous. We're special. So I pray for that dark-skinned person that has felt ashamed much of his or her life, or that light-skinned person, or that pale person, or that red person. Help us to see you made me. We curse the devil who tries to get us to curse ourselves. We say you are a liar. And we rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I'm special. From my height to my hair, to my shape, to my personality, to my gifts. I'm unique and I'm blessed. And we thank you, oh God. We speak the truth to ourselves. And we receive what you say about us. Break every yoke and stronghold right now in the name of Jesus. And we give you the glory. Amen. 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 Sister Ebony, come on and close us.